Well, what comes to your mind when you think about being filled with the Spirit? You might think of supernatural manifestations, depending on your background, perhaps speaking in tongues or signs and wonders. Those kinds of things are described for us in the pages of the New Testament. Uh, The Spirit has worked in those ways uh, in the early church. And in our text in Ephesians, though, also written to the early church, what it says you might find actually kind of mundane. Peter preached on verses 18 through 20 last week. We're going to look at verse 21 today. But listen as I read the whole section for us again. Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21. You can find this on page 949 in your pew Bible if you're interested in following along there. This is God's Word. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, despite being a separate sentence and even being separated by a section heading in some translations, including the New International Version that we read from here, um, this last sentence, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, is part of a single sentence that makes up this whole passage. Verses 18 through 21 is one sentence in the original Greek. A single sentence, it has two commands. Do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And the rest of the sentence uh, describes what that looks like. It consists of five participles that describe what being filled with the Spirit looks like. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing, making melody, uh, making music to the Lord. Fourth, giving thanks to God, and then closing out this single sentence is this phrase, submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. Now, there's nothing about this list that, that strikes us as particularly spectacular, at least, at least on the surface anyway. In this passage, Paul describes the results of being filled with the Spirit in terms of the activity of God's people. Uh, worship singing to one another and to the Lord, an attitude of thanksgiving, and a posture of submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, Peter explained last week that what fills you controls you. It's what determines the priorities of your life. And so based on this, we could say that the priorities of the Christian life should be harmonious relationships between God and, and one another, characterized by worship, thankfulness, and this idea of mutual submission. And if you understand what that truly means, you realize how supernatural it needs to be. Friends, let's be honest. Submission is not a value in our culture. Submission for many brings to mind ideas of hierarchy, of of this oppressive top-down structure, authority, power over one another. Subjection, subjugation, repression, inequality. It flies in the face of core American values. Values like freedom and independence and autonomy. But I'm suggesting that I believe the text teaches that submission is 
the posture of Christian spirituality. It's an essential mark of being filled with the Spirit. And as the church lives out that posture towards one another, a beautiful thing begins to take shape. Loving, humble, concerned service for one another emerges that is, in fact, what the the world is longing for. That kind of connection, that kind of support, that kind of community. And I think it's obvious when we see situations where submission is called for, but it's not given. Uh, If you've ever been a, a parent of a toddler, you might know the frustration, sometimes even the danger that comes when a little one refuses to submit. When our twins were little, uh, they would play in a fenced-in backyard that we had, and, and uh, we found out to our horror that we really did need to lock our gate because these little suckers would try to make a break for it and, and run down the block. They didn't know their way home, right? And so it wasn't enough to tell them to stay in the backyard. They wouldn't submit, and it stressed their mom out and put them in danger. My daughter, Sydney, now is in middle school. She enrolled in public school this year. Uh, she's been homeschooled for the last several years. And so as she entered into public school, middle school, she was shocked by uh, how disrespectful, she said, she experienced the students to be in the classroom. And so imagine the frustration and the inefficiency of trying to uh, teach a room full of middle school students who won't stop talking who are rude, who don't do what they're told, right? The lack of submission is a problem. Look at the world around us. Ray Ortland, reflecting on this passage, wonders, is it any wonder that we see a mass stampede for power, recognition, status, prestige, and so on? There's a lack of harmony and a a self-centeredness and an ego that undermines the kind of life and community God holds out for us as his ideal for his people. We need the Spirit's filling to empower us to live counterculturally at this point. I think one of the main reasons that we do not value submission is because we think it threatens our value, our personal worth if we're in the position of submission. If we submit to someone else, we, we think that it makes us less valuable, less important perhaps. The Bible insists this is simply not the case. We see that in the pattern of the Trinity itself. You know, nothing is more harmonious or fulfilling or satisfying or joyful than the relationships that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have with one another. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, prays that his followers would experience something of that community, the joy and harmonious unity that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always had. He prays this in John 17, 21, I pray that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave to me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Scripture teaches that God is one in essence and three in person. He eternally exists as three distinct persons and these persons are one God 
equal in glory and power. It's a mystery to be sure. But what we see at the heart of the universe, the the ultimate reality is unity and diversity, one God in community. And Scripture teaches that these divine persons have different roles. They relate to one another in unique ways. They're, They're not interchangeable. God the Father has eternally had the role of leadership, of initiation, of primary authority amongst the members of the Trinity. The Son has eternally been in submission to the Father's authority. He joyfully supports and carries out and obeys the Father's purposes and plans for His creation and for salvation. And as Peter mentioned last week, the Spirit loves to shine the spotlight on Jesus to call attention to Jesus. He, he acts in joyful obedience and submission to both the Father and the Son. And if we had time this morning, we could look at numerous Bible passages that demonstrate first that before the foundation of the world, before the creation of the world, from all eternity past, the Father exercised authority, the Son and the Spirit joyfully submitted to it. From all eternity, before there was a creation. We could see how during Jesus' earthly ministry, he submitted to the Father. One verse serves as an example, John 6.38. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Third, at his resurrection, Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, second only to the Father himself, whose hand he sits uh, next to. And the son's submission to the father will continue for all eternity, even after the final judgment. This was not merely a temporary thing that Jesus did during his earthly ministry. This has always been, and it will always be. 1 Corinthians 15 teaches that when the end comes, Jesus will give all authority that the father had entrusted to him back to the father. And verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, when he has done this, Then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. In a fresh way, Jesus will submit to the Father to whom he has always submitted. Here's the point. For Jesus to be in submission to the Father does not make him any less valuable, any less important, any less worthy or glorious In fact, Jesus' unique role in being sent by the Father to accomplish our salvation is His very glory. And just as the Son of God is no less equal to the Father because of His submission to the Father, our value, our worth, our significance is not tied to any role we hold any more than His is. If you're an employee in the company, not the owner of the company, Does your different role make you any less significant, any less valuable in God's sight? Of course not. Of course not. And yet we live our lives as if that's the case. Equality of worth is not identity of role. Equality of worth does not imply our roles are interchangeable. Submission does not make you a lesser person. 
It is the means by which you fulfill your calling. In fact, it's built into the very nature of God Himself. Both authority and submission to authority are wonderful parts of the great glory that is the Trinity. And so when you're called to submission in your relationships with one another, it's one of the ways you reflect the character of Jesus, the Son of God, in community. The world's values are invalid at this point. Authority does not validate your worth. Submission does not undermine it. In fact, the world corrupts authority whenever it sees it as a privilege to be exploited for our own good rather than a responsibility to be born for the benefit of others. That's why Satan fell from glory. That's uh, the pride that caused Adam and Eve to want to be like God, to forsake his authority, to no longer submit to it, and to establish their own authority. And so that's why submission is the posture of Christian spirituality. Before the text moves to the specific roles and the relationships that we have with one another in our lives, it begins with this general call for us to submit to one another. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Greek here is in the middle voice, which means it's something that uh, you do to yourself. It's the voluntary voluntary, um, uh, yielding to someone else in love. The voluntary yielding to someone else in love. And that's what's to characterize Christian community. For example... Paul teaches in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, that we are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's what submission to one another looks like. It's based on the example of Jesus himself. The text goes on in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What does that look like? Verse 6, who, being in very nature God, very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, he being made in human likeness, Being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our society emphasizes equality, and that's a good thing. I'm glad I live in a country that strives for equality. But realize, mutual submission is a much stronger idea. With equality, you often have a battle of rights. Equality can exist without love. But with mutual submission, you give up your rights and support each other. Jesus was in very nature God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used for his own advantage, because there is one who gave up his rights for you to secure what all of your striving and clawing and struggling seeks for yourself, your glory, 
You can never achieve it ultimately. Jesus gives it to you freely because he gave up his rights for you. Mutual submission gives up your rights for the sake of others. Submission is love in action. The voluntary yielding to someone else in love. Mutual submission will not allow us to promote our own interests above others, but neither will it make us doormats. True submission is given. It's voluntary. It's not coerced from us. And this posture of mutual submission is also the way those in authority exercise their authority. Speaking about authority, Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 20, He said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. The idea here is of a, a Roman official in power just dominating those underneath. Jesus says, Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The only reason we would ever do this is, as Paul said in Ephesians 5.21, because we do it out of reverence for Christ. It's the fruit of the gospel in our lives, empowered by the filling of the Spirit. The only reason we would ever do this is that there is a supernatural power outside of ourselves that presses this truth into our hearts so that it becomes beautiful. You do not have the ability to work this up. When you struggle to submit, take heart. That's why Jesus came, to die on the cross for our sins, that being one of them. But having having been forgiven, this is what he calls us to. God has to work it in you. He's committed to working it in you. It's the result of being filled with the Spirit as you experience Jesus. You have to experience Jesus' submission for you to melt your heart so that you'll submit to one another. That's why back in Philippians 2, that passage that talks about this example that we have in Jesus begins in verse 1 by saying, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition and empty conceit. And then it gets into our passage that we looked at. Have you been united with Christ? Have you been comforted by His love for you? Is the Spirit at work in you, filling you and empowering you? Preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of all the ways God has condescended, left his glory in heaven to serve you, to give up his rights for you, to love you. And as you experience that, as it becomes real in your experience, in your life, in your thinking, in your emotions, then it empowers you to be like your Lord, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What might this look like? Kids, 
You could share your toys with your brother and sister without your mom having to ask you to do so. That would be a supernatural work of the Spirit in many of our lives. Teens, if you remind yourself that Jesus died for you, you have nothing to prove because Jesus accepts you, God accepts you, then you don't have to make fun of the other kids in order to feel better about yourself. You, you can be free to be an encouragement to others rather than being concerned about what everybody else thinks of you. Think about how God could use you to make a difference in your schools if you lived that way. Mutual submission should apply to all of our preferences in church. You know, we, we won't be so focused on our own preferences about, preferences about the style of music, what we like and what we don't like, what type of food is served at a potluck, whether or not we receive attention, but we will be focused to be an encouragement and a support to others in the community. Mutual submission has application to our money. We typically allow society to dictate how money is used or how it's hoarded, which often is focused on using it for ourselves to maintain some lifestyle or to, to achieve some lifestyle. But that, that doesn't always fit with the biblical ethic, does it? We've already seen just recently, uh, previously in Ephesians, Ephesians 4.28, Paul says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work. And here's the point of work from a Christian perspective. Doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Mutual submission should encourage us to consider how we can help others in need. Can we, can we give our time? Can we help install a window AC unit that Jennifer was telling about us? Can, can we help with the benevolence fund or the missions budget or give to the ministry of the church in general? Can we give our time, treasure, and talents, not just on ourselves and our own leisure, but in submission to, to one another, love in action? Are you quick to criticize others? If you have a critical spirit, mutual submission will encourage you to consider others' perspective, others' needs. If you find yourselves criticizing, what might it look like to, to practically, tangibly be an encouragement to that person instead? Those are, are all ways that we can submit to one another in general. But verse 21 is also a transition to submission in specific relationships. And so let's consider some particulars of our calling. Peter will get into this more next week and the following weeks, but I just want to introduce it because verse 21 is a transition. It's, it's the last phrase of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, and then it introduces the next three topics that Paul is going to talk about. It's all the outflow of this verse. Verse 21 concludes what characterizes Spirit-filled living, and it relates uh, so much so to this, the, the teaching on submission that follows that the very next verse doesn't even have a verb in the sentence. Uh, we carry forward this, this word submit into verse 22. Paul is clearly continuing his thought into what follows. And so verse 21 gives us this general comprehensive principle about mutual submission to one another. And then Paul is going to move into what submission and authority look like in different roles in our lives. 
Mutual submission is the attitude and the posture of everyone toward everyone else. And it results in voluntary loving service. And with that context in mind, Paul continues his instruction. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 25, what does this look like for husbands? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Chapter 6, verse 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Verse 5, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Verse 9, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. It doesn't matter what your role, you have equal dignity and value in the eyes of God. Peter's going to explain all that for us in the coming weeks. But I want you to see that authority and submission are all done in submission to Christ, who modeled for us both authority and submission. Both authority and submission are the voluntary expression of loving service for the good of the other. Those in authority don't use authority for their own gain. Those in submission do so out of reverence for Christ. I want you to see that we all have equal value and dignity and worth, which is not based on the roles we play, but on being made in the image of God and in our identity in Christ, where we are all equal. And that the key to actually living this way is to experience Christ through the gospel by the power of His Holy Spirit. Christians are called to live in mutual submission to one another, and without submission, friends, we cannot fulfill our callings. Submission is a strong and free act of the will. It's voluntary. It takes courage. It's based on real love for the other person. It's a decision to value the worth of someone else. And it's a way in which we die and rise with Christ as He lives His life in and through us by the Spirit for the glory of the Father. May God's Spirit fill us to empower us to live in this way. Let's pray. Father, your word is God-breathed, comes from the very mouth of God. It's inspired, and it's profitable for teaching. Father, it's profitable for correction, for rebuking for training us in righteousness, that the man and woman, the child of God, would be equipped to live the life you call us to live. And so, Lord, where this teaching may challenge us, Lord, would our minds be renewed, that we would no longer be conformed to the world. We would have our minds renewed so that we would know what your will is, your good and perfect will. Lord, empower us to live it. Help us to experience the way you give up your rights for us, 
the way you exercise authority over us. You are our God and our King, and yet you're a King who dies for us. Lord, grab our hearts with that that truth, the beauty of that truth, and make us into a community that loves one another well, that doesn't Uh, that considers one another more important than ourselves, that isn't selfish, that isn't uh, full of pride, that isn't critical, a critical spirit, Lord, but but, um, submits to one another out of reverence for you. Be glorified in us and through us. Make this a place of unity and love. Father, work in our homes, our marriages, our relationship with our children, those we work with, Lord, would we posture our lives in such a way that reflect you to those we live around. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.